Hi, we're two non-doctors. I'm Liz Mealy. I'm Maria Shahada. We have a podcast. I don't know how we got it. Well, we're comedians. We stopped getting actual stage time, so we turned to the internet. We Um, have a lot of questions about health. We talk about what we want to know more about, and then we ask our fans to tell us if we're right. And we're very rarely right. We're never right. We've been learning a lot through Google. Our first episode is about Maria having misophonia, to me discussing dyslexia, stuff that people feel like they know a little bit about and want to know more about, to us discovering stuff neither of us knew much about like ASMR. My mom's on the show. My mom is a veterinarian. I'm pretty sure she's going to replace us at some point. We are on the Unpops Network. They saw our potential and was like, we think someday you guys will actually have value. (laughs) Which is an unpopular opinion. (laughs) Do not doctors. Don't Don't listen to us. (laughs) Seriously, guys, we don't know what we're talking about. Hey everybody, welcome to Conspiracy the Show. I'm Adam Todd Brown. I'm Fizza Dasani. We are your damn hosts this week. We read a book for you motherfuckers. A whole book. A whole damn book. We read half the Mueller report, basically. (laughs) Where is our medal? Fizza, how's it going? Man, I'm doing, you know, I'm... It's a minute by minute thing, but right now in this minute, I'm I'm cool. I'm good. Happy to be here. Yeah. I'm happy to be recording with you. It means we're both still alive. We are. Don't, hopefully don't have the Rony Roan. Hopefully. Rony Roan. (laughs) But I'm good. Hopefully we don't. Like I said, we read an entire book for this episode, and that book is Too Much and Never Enough. How My Family Created the World's Most Dangerous Man, written by Mary L. Trump. Who is a clinical psychologist and Donald Trump's niece. And I have to say, every time I read that title, Too Much and Never Enough, I always think of that Luther Vandross song. It's a banger. Never too much, never too much. It's a good song. Yeah, that might have been a an obscure reference for some, but uh, it, it's, you know, puts music in my head and that makes me happy. Ask your parents about it. If you didn't get the reference. You were conceived to Luther Vandross. Ask your parents about it. Exactly. But um, it was a good read. You know, a lot of times if I want to, if I'm having trouble going to sleep, I'll pick up a book and it'll, you know, take me right there. But Mary, Mary's book kept me up. Like I finished it, I think, in a day and a half. It was a quick read. I read it really quick also. I mean, I had to because the recording of this episode was bearing down on me and I still hadn't read the book. But... I decided to read it after you mentioned on the last episode you were on that you had read it. And I've been doing these episodes called Banned Media Reports, where I talk, like, I did one about Plandemic last week. <laughs> yeah. Which is such bullshit. And it's, it's nice to be doing one this week about something that isn't bullshit. This book is really fucking good, and it, I think it fits that banned media title because Trump's family tried very hard to keep this book from coming out. And yeah. If you read it, it's pretty obvious why. It's scathing. It's, I mean, it's not, it's not flattering for the Trumps. No, definitely not. Like sociopaths, we revere them until they're revealed to be sociopaths. Right. And this book definitely reveals all that. I think this is 
one of the better books about Trump because uh, we did an episode of Unpops that came out yesterday, and you mentioned on that when we were talking about this book because that episode is about the three books that explain Donald Trump. So we actually read three books. So, you know, we we read three books for yesterday's episode, but... It's been a busy, busy week. And by that, I mean I've been sitting on my couch staring at a Kindle all fucking weekend. But still, it was nice. It was relaxing. I might do all my research based on just reading an entire book a day from now on. I mean, if it's a good book. Yeah, this one is. And the reason it's, I think, so enlightening is something you mentioned on yesterday's episode, which is it's written from the perspective of not only a clinical psychologist, but she basically grew up with Donald Trump. She grew up in the Trump family. Fred Trump is her grandfather. She had access that most clinical psychologists do not, even though they have the education, they don't have that sort of access. And I mean, that's more access than a therapist gets, a normal psychologist. Yeah. And it, you can really tell that she had that access. The stories in this are fucking wild. One of the things she talks about right away is how a lot of people try to diagnose Trump based on his public actions and his actions as president. And the word they use is malignant narcissism. And she talks about how that doesn't really cover it all. That's the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. She argues he could also meet the criteria for antisocial personality disorder. Which, at his worst, is sociopathy. Right. A lot of uh, serial killers are sociopaths, uh, Hitler, etc. Dependent personality disorder. And maybe has a long, undiagnosed learning disability that interferes with his ability to process information. Which is a big deal when you're president. It's a huge fucking deal when you are running the country. And she also questions if his Diet Coke intake is causing him sleep problems. But I personally still buy the theory that he snorts Adderall. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you that I feel a lot better after quitting Diet Coke. Snorting Adderall, I've had some experience with that in my past. But yeah, we'll leave it. We'll leave it there. But like, so you have a personal theory that Trump snorts Adderall. Why Adderall and not cocaine? No, it's not my theory. There is a comedian named Noel Kassler who used to work with Trump on the Miss Teen USA pageant and on Celebrity Apprentice. And if you Google it, he has a whole bit that he does on stage about how when he was working with Trump, Trump would just snort rails of Adderall all day. And he was like, I hadn't, I signed an NDA, but that fucking flew out the window once this guy became president of the United States. Now I'm just going to tell everyone. And he is at like his entire Twitter is just him pointing out all the different moments where it really seems like Trump is high on Adderall and like they've never sued him. They've never done anything to stop him from saying that, which usually is a sign that there's something to that story. I mean, people have said much worse or accused him of much worse than snorting Adderall. Yeah, it's a pretty minor thing, relatively speaking. It's similar to cocaine. So, you know, I think they have bigger fish to fry. They're doing a lot more like damaging, fucked up things right now. 
I mean, if anything, it's like almost a good thing that he's, he takes Adderall because if he has a learning disorder, it's like we need this guy to focus. He seems to be struggling with that now. Like maybe he needs some fucking Adderall. I don't know. Yeah, maybe he doesn't have that learning disorder anymore because he snorts Adderall. <laughs> Perfect. That's, that's fine. That's how most people fix their learning disorders. They just don't snort it. So like you were saying about the comedian, how he signed that NDA. And but he's like, you know what? That goes out the window. That's pretty much how Mary Trump felt. Yeah, she in writing this book, the reason the family tried to get it stopped, their argument was, well, she signed an NDA back when we had this lawsuit going over our grandfather's will, which holy shit, we'll talk about that soon Uh, or over our father's will. The father, grandfather, like she's part of the family. Fred Trump. Right. Fred Trump's will. He's the patriarch in this book. Right. And their argument was, well, she signed an NDA and that should preclude her from writing any of this. And I think the obvious argument is that doesn't matter once the person in question becomes president. Then it's more a matter of the public deserves to know this shit about the person they've elected to be their leader. So a judge let the book go forward and it was released on July 14th, 2020. And that is a very American thing that I'm happy about. Yeah, it proves that at least for now, some of our freedoms and liberties are still in place. It clearly isn't the case for a lot of other media and things that have come out recently for better or worse. But yeah, it's it's a promising sign. Yeah, I mean, it's good that some of our checks and balances are still working. Yeah. And this is essentially a biography of Fred Trump. More than anything. Because you need you need to have that history to understand Trump's history, to understand Donald's history. Right, to understand why Donald Trump is the way he is. Because, like, I know he gets compared to people all the time and, like, in his various policies and things that people throw around, like Hitler and whatnot. I would argue there has never been a world leader like Trump. He's all of those things people say he is, but he's so much more. Like he is a baffling. He he seems like he's not human. He was also created to be a showman, you know, a a performer because as far as a business person, that wasn't his skill set. That wasn't his skill set. It was that was the narrative, but his dad handled that. He was the face. Yeah, he was he was born to cultivate an image. And he was really shaped by his father's cruelty. Fred, Fred Trump was, um, I think, she, Mary diagnosed him as having antisocial personality disorder. Right. So the combination of his father's cruelty um, plus the treatment of his older brother, the oldest Trump son, Freddie Trump, I guess Fred Jr., we'll call him Freddie, um, was a reference to Donald as to how not to act. So he had, he, you know, his, it's like his brother was sort of like the test dummy. Right. He was, he was very much the, the lab rat that Fred tried his parenting style out on and just kind of wrecked that kid. And Trump saw that and molded his behavior accordingly. What's. And I think it's important to point out that, that Mary is the daughter of Freddie Trump, the oldest son who um, was deeply affected by the abuse. Yeah, she was, her dad was basically driven 
to, I mean, he died of a heart attack, but it was an alcohol-related heart attack. And you can understand how he became an alcoholic when you read this book. Like, the, the treatment he received from his father for just wanting to be his own person. It's like fucking movie villain extreme. Like, if they wrote a movie and these things happened, I feel like most people would see that movie and go, That's not realistic. Yeah, no one's really that fucking mean. Fred Trump was that mean. Like, Fred Trump was a malignant presence in the world, especially as it pertained to his family. And it wasn't, like, physical abuse. He didn't beat him. Like, that would have almost been better. Because you can see bruises. You can see bruises, but emotional damage is so insidious. Psychological damage is so insidious, and it can keep going on because it's easy. You might not recognize it. You see a fucking bruise. You're like, okay, someone got hurt, but you don't see that those other scars. And it it's enlightening as it pertains to Donald Trump because I think a lot of people see the things Trump does and the policies he endorses and the fucking sides he takes on social issues And it's like, does he just not have a conscience? Does he just have no feelings at all? Well, that's how he was raised. Yeah, if you read this book, he by design does not have feelings. Like, that was his kind of defense mechanism growing up in this household, was he learned to not have any emotional needs, which is terrifying when you're talking about the leader of the country. And an inability to empathize with its people. So it's like, you know, we talked a little bit about this on on yesterday's um, Unpops podcast. But, you know, it, it is interesting how there is such a loyal following for someone whose main interest is his self and the betterment of himself. And it's not really a secret, but for some reason, because of cognitive dissonance, he's also the savior for his base. Right. Or as, as he's perceived as that. Well, one thing you see in this book is there's that that same kind of cognitive dissonance exists in his dad. Because his dad, from when Donald was very young, starts grooming him to take over this business, Trump management, knowing full well he's not capable of running this business. Like, that seemed to be a running theme, was that there's no reason Donald Trump should ever run this business and he didn't but his dad instilled that image in him and kind of forced trump forced donald trump to present this image of oh i'm a successful businessman and the more his dad fueled that the the world around him fueled it too banks were throwing him money the media was giving him all this attention and meanwhile every business venture he has fucking fails but Because that's his image and that's his ideology is always present this image of success. It's just like bred this fucking monster that people aspire to be. And it's interesting because I wonder what, you know, they, Fred, Fred Trump does not, did not seem like an unintelligent person, maybe emotionally unintelligent or completely emotionally stifled, but like long term, you know, like did he, I know he admired his son's qualities and showmanship and but like he was running the business and maybe because he's never had a a sick day his dad never got sick his mom was always sick but his dad never got sick and maybe he thought he'd sort of live forever yeah i mean if you look into the thing we focused on on yesterday's on pops episode is his fascination with the power of positive thinking and the reason he got and he really takes to it like he takes to it in a way that destroys his family essentially 
And the reason he got into it is because he's not a showman. He's not a confident public speaker. English is his second language. He's just not that guy. And he wanted someone in his family to be that guy. And the way he applied the power of positive thinking was, well, if I just want my oldest son to be that, he's going to be that. And when his oldest son grew up to not be that, it fucking rocked his world. And it basically, the ripple effects are that Donald Trump is the fucking president now, which is insane. But you can draw a direct line from that moment where he decides, okay, I want this son to be the face of my business all the way to where we are right now. It's pretty crazy. Created a monster and he encouraged it. He knew what he was doing and he knew his son's aptitudes and his not only like, you know, the strengths, which you could say are showmanship, but like and and cult leadership. But um, he knew his deficiencies as well because he was doing the work. He was running the business. He was running the show. He was the puppet master. Donald was the figurehead. But like that is what he needed. He needed the figurehead. He got what he needed from Donald and, you know, he got his needs fulfilled. Yeah, he got what he wanted from Donald. And because he had something he wanted from Donald, he treated Donald just so much better than every other kid in his family. And like you hear that and you're like, oh, what did did Donald get two hundred and fifty thousand dollars and one of the other kids only got two hundred thousand? No, it's it's more like. Donald Trump immediately out of college was put up in a huge apartment on like Fifth Avenue or Park Avenue in Manhattan. And meanwhile, his oldest son at one point is living in a property owned by Fred Trump. And there is a fucking hole in the wall in the winter. And he's like, can someone from maintenance come fix this hole? They never fixed that hole in the wall. Like he, his family lived with a hole in their fucking wall. And what's crazy is he had so much control over this family. Like his oldest son could have just called a fucking repairman and been like, come fix this hole in my wall. But you just didn't do that. You like if Fred Trump didn't think that hole needed to be fixed, it was not going to get fixed. That's a reflection of the psychological damage that Freddie experienced at the hands of his father. Yeah. And it, pretty much devolves into him drinking himself to death. It's a really sad story. And that is the father of the woman who wrote this book. Yeah. I mean, if you look at you, you knowing what the family situation was and how one son was treated and one son was the other son was treated better. I mean, the one who was treated better is president, even though he doesn't know how to be president. And then the other son who had some integrity is, is not alive anymore. He, he died young because he was hurting. Yeah, he died at 42. I'm older than that. That's crazy. And his daughter, who wrote the book, she describes him in his final years. She's like, he looked like he was in his 80s. Like, he was beaten down by life. And that was mostly at the hands of his father and his younger brother, Donald. Like, Donald Trump recognized what his dad wanted out of his replacement, basically. And he just shaped himself to be that and one of the ways he did that is well if my dad doesn't respect you then I don't respect you and that extended to his older brother and they just like teamed up on this guy until he fucking drank himself to death and it was um 
you know, not only did he see his father doing it, but he got validation from his father when he participated. So it was encouraged. Cruelty was the point. And I think that's the title of the first section. Yeah. Part one of the book is cruelty is the point. And as his parenting style produced these results in Donald Trump, which were he was very aggressive because he was always bigger. Like he's apparently very big. Like he's always been big for his age and his upbringing basically results in him being a bully at school and at home. And his dad loved it because that was what his dad wanted to be. His dad wanted to be that kind of presence that could just go out and inflict his will on people. And he didn't really have that kind of persona. So when he saw that developing in his son, he was like, fuck yes, finally, the kid of my dreams. And he fucking wrecked Donald Trump. And now Donald Trump is wrecking us. Yeah, I mean, that's the the issue with narcissists. Like, I mean, Fred, we've talked about is a sociopath, but there's, you know, narcissistic qualities, obviously. And for narcissists, they're children they can perceive their children as an extension of themselves so that child is not autonomous that child is there for the parent to control and you know and it just you know happened that Donald was able to adapt to work with his father and Freddie was not able to Freddie had a soul Freddie it you know Donald was able to stifle those feelings which are human and Freddie was not he he wanted to he didn't want to follow in his father's footsteps he wanted to follow his dreams and become a pilot which he did and he was referred to as a bus driver in the sky by Fred which is mean it's just mean it's mean and especially when you take into account when it happened like this is when pilots were getting asked for autographs when they walk through the airport and he worked for TWA which was like the coolest airline. Like being a pilot at that time for TWA was a really neat job. And his dad, because his son didn't want to just be a piece of shit landlord, was like, you're weak. That's weakness. And he fucking punished him the rest of his life for it until that kid died. It's nuts. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Part two of the book is called The Wrong Side of the Tracks. And it kicks off with one of the craziest stories in the book because, like, you hear, oh, Fred Trump was mean to Donald Trump. So surely Donald Trump, like, took this to some kind of extreme and, like, was far worse than his father. But then you hear this story about his father trying to kick off this land development. And no, like, Fred Trump was a fucking maniac, too. He's in this story trying to get this development project going, and he's getting all this pushback from residents who want to have this area declared as a historic landmark site. And there's this one structure on this, it's, I believe it was a park, that they were trying to get declared a landmark. And instead of, one, just ignoring them and tearing it down, which would have been shitty because, like, 
once you tear it down, there's nothing to declare historic. You can get mad about it, but whatever. Instead of just doing that, he holds a fucking demolition party, like a community gathering, and invites neighborhood kids and anyone who wants to participate to just start throwing bricks through the windows of this building, and it ends with them destroying this fucking building. So he didn't just, like, ignore the community's wishes. He, like, very extravagantly did it. Yeah, that was a mi- a big middle finger to them wanting to make it, de- declare it a landmark. Like, that was, that was just, to, again, like, he was just trying to be cruel. Salt in the wound. Yeah, that was basically his philosophy on life, was if people are getting in your way, you fucking crush them. And it doesn't matter if you're mean about it. Yeah. I was just going to say the development never even got approved, right? So it was... The development never got approved and the city ended up buying the land back from him at one point. So he made $1.3 million anyway. Crazy. Wow. He was a fucking tyrant. And he, like, he ran his family like a dictatorship. It was, like, right down to controlling the resources because this... This part of the book is mostly about how he treats Freddy, and it is horrifying. But they also talk about how frugal he was. Like, by this point in his in his development, he, he was worth millions and millions of dollars. And there's stories in here about his kids having to have their mom sneak them Crisco cans full of coins that she had collected from the various laundry machines in his apartment and give those to her kids so they could support their families because you did not present need to Fred Trump. If you needed something, you did not ask for it because that was a sign of weakness. And so Freddie, when he dies, he's worth like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And his daughter was like, I don't know if he just like they blocked his access or he just didn't want to ask, but he basically dies in poverty, but also with like hundreds of thousands of dollars to his name. I think a lot of his assets were tied to these buildings and he probably shared um, ownership. So the only way maybe to get the payout was if everyone was to sell. You can't really cash out if you're the only one, if his finances were tied into that sort of thing. So he might have not had like, you know, he might have been, he he was cash poor. But he had a trust. He had a trust that was set up which once you turn a certain age, you're supposed to be able to access that. And he died with that trust still intact. He just never took any money from it. And his daughter in the book kind of, I think she's not really sure if the family was blocking him from taking that money because he was an alcoholic or if he just didn't feel like he could ask his dad for money, even in the situations he ends up getting into, which are very dire. I mean, that's that's, uh, speaks volumes that... He couldn't even reach out. He couldn't even ask. You know, that speaks volumes to the psychological damage of how fearful he was of his father. And I mean, that's incredibly psychologically damaging that one of your primary caretakers is abusive at a young age. That would fuck anyone up. Yeah. And the the stuff in the book about the 1970s lawsuit over not running to black people, the famous lawsuit that fucking came out the beginning of Trump's run for president and everyone was just like, eh, whatever. Like, reading about it in this book, the family was also kind of like, eh, whatever. Like, it was just good publicity to them. And 
if if you wonder where Trump gets that from, mm-hmm. that's where he gets it from. Like that's what his dad bred him to be was there is no such thing as bad publicity. And even if it's your name is in the papers for being a blatant fucking racist, at least your name's in the paper. At least people are talking about you. Like, And that contributes to brand recognition. Yeah. And that is a psychological thing, you know? Like you recognize something, you're more inclined to, to be comfortable with it, to, to support it, to vote for it. Right. And with Trump, He's having this uh, this worldview that he's supposed to present kind of imposed on him by his dad, but the entire world is, like, reacting to it. Like, at every step of his life, it, nothing he does has any ramifications. If he goes to banks and asks for money and doesn't pay it back, they keep giving him money. He was never held accountable. That's the thing, is he was never held accountable, so he has so... There's so many examples of outrageous behavior, and maybe that is his trick is like you can't double down on him when, you know, it's like a game of whack-a-mole. Like you focus on one thing and he did some other outrageous shit. So it's just like, well, eventually we run out of adrenaline and we can't be outraged perpetually for four years, you know? Yeah. Whereas, you know, like it was a simpler time before, like someone did something fucked up. You didn't know about all the other fucked up shit they did. You can focus on that. And I mean, this is this is wild. This is like a floodgate of bad behavior. Yeah. And there's even stories in this book that I hadn't heard. I mean, I'm sure I haven't heard all of the crazy Donald Trump stories because that like that's how he lived his life. Like that's not just how he is as president. That's like, just why him. would banks keep giving him money? No one knows. Some people say, I think I remember something from the book that it could have been related to the ego of like, well, we invested this much in this person. We can't just say, oh, well, we fucked up. It was just like, well, we need to get a return on this investment. So it was just sort of like this black hole of they were just throwing money into because of pride. Yeah. And it's also the the way he presented himself. Like one of the things I don't have in the notes, one of his early projects was this uh it was this hotel project and the way he gets involved in it is he just holds a press conference and holds up this art artist rendering of what this hotel project is going to look like when he's done with it and he was in no way connected to that project at all that was his in like he just called a press conference and said here's what i'm going to do with this hotel and banks just fucking threw him money so so he could do it like he was up to that point no one had given him any authority to tear down this hotel or rebuild it. So he, like, he's just good at talking himself up. And using propaganda. Yeah. And one of the stories I found really interesting, she brings it up early in part three, which is called Smoke and Mirrors. And it's an example of something we see all the time now, which is Trump just blatantly acting like he knows better than experts. And this happened in 1983. He was building Trump Tower. And the one of the buildings he had to tear down to build Trump Tower had some historic art stuff on its facade. So he promised the Metropolitan Museum of Art that he would preserve all of that and hand it over to them so they can display it in the museum. But then when it comes time to do that, he realizes that to take them off without destroying them is going to cost a whole lot of money and it's going to hold the project up. So he just tears the building down and destroys all of that historic art shit. And when people were like, why did you do that? You had this agreement in place. His reply was they had no actual artistic merit. So 
one of the biggest Damn. museums of art in the world wanted those items for their artistic merit. And Trump was like, I disagree. I tore it down. And it was just because he didn't want to spend the money to save them. He just, yeah, it was outside of, of his realm of what he cared about. Yeah. Which was anything outside of his self-interest seems just unimportant. They, they talk about back to banks for a second. At one point, he was so in debt to these banks, they put him on an allowance and it was $450,000 a month. And he still, he was not able to stick to that. I think I remember when that news story came out. Was it in the 90s? Yeah. I remember that. And I remember just, yeah. I was like, that's, uh, isn't that going to put him further in debt? I mean, that's a big allowance. It is. Like, that's that's a huge allowance. But when you're Trump, like, I imagine he wasn't able to stick to it just because who were they to tell him how, how to spend money and yeah. how to live? Who was anyone to tell him anything i mean every time he did what he wanted and acted in his own self-interest he was rewarded yeah like all of the bragging he does about himself like everyone still treated him like a really successful business person even though all of his business ventures failed he went bankrupt so many times and like this image he presents is just getting validated more and more every step of the way i was just gonna say i like the term failing upwards where you are in a position where success is basically shoved down your throat, even if you do everything in your power to, to fuck it up. You know, Fred set, set his son up, gave him a huge platform. He really did. Like, and allowance. And fucking is actively destroying the world because of it right now. It's like, it's crazy that just like it really does boil down to Fred Trump. And how he raised Donald Trump. Like, that is a yeah. whole lot of why we're in the predicament we're in right yeah, now. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it's like, well, who would Donald Trump be if he was raised by supportive, attentive, emotionally available parents? Who would he be? Yeah, I like the point she makes in the book that Donald Trump basically for his entire life has been institutionalized. Like, there has never been a point where he's truly lived on his own without massive amounts of security and support around him. And that was the case when he was running his Trump empire. And it's the case now when he's president, like he's never had to live on his own in any way, which is a scary thing to think about when, again, talking about the person leading the country. What did you think about all the stuff about her being written out of Fred's will? I thought it was cruel. I thought it was completely cruel. I mean, there's, I mean, when you, there's that much wealth, it's just cruel because it's just like also, you know, based on what her father experienced, like that's the least they could have done. Right. Basically what happened is when Fred Trump dies, Freddie Trump is just removed from the will because he's dead by that point. So his entire line doesn't exist to Fred Trump. Right. It's kind of erased his grandchildren from Freddie. When she realized that they were getting no money at all, like she goes to the family and like, it's really indicative of what kind of family this was and what kind of people they are, because it would have been very easy for any one of like, there's so many siblings. It would have been really easy for any of them or Donald, especially to be like, all right, like that's kind of shitty. We'll help you out. 
But in this family, you just did not do that. You did not question what Fred Trump wanted, even in death. Mm, Yeah, that was wild. They're like, well, that's what he wanted, so it must be right. Even though from our perspective, you know, it's, it's so cruel to just not even to completely cut out your grandchildren. And he only cuts out the two grandchildren who were born to the son who died. All the other grandchildren get stuff because their parents are alive. And so they end up filing a lawsuit and they're like, we're being punished because our dad died. Trump had a, yeah. Trump said Fred doesn't care. Fred only cares about his living children. Right. And once that living child was dead, those grandchildren were dead to him. It's odd. It's odd. It's very cruel. And it's, an insanely sad story because the one person, the author of this book, Mary Trump, had a still decent relationship with was Fred Trump's wife, Donald Trump's mother. And for most of her adult life, that's who she got along with and confided in. And as soon as she filed that lawsuit, her grandmother called her and was like, listen, your grandfather died penniless. Why are you trying to ruin the family? And then her grandmother wrote her out of her will. When she died, like you did not question Fred Trump, even after he died. If that's what his will said, that's what his will said. And they were punished. She was Mary was punished. They were vindictive. You know, at one point during the lawsuit, they took away Mary and her brother's health insurance, even though her brother had a child who was seriously ill and relied on that insurance. And also, like that didn't benefit the family at all. It was cruelty for the sake of cruelty. Right. And it. It's it's a it's really, I think, representative of what kind of family environment Trump grew up in. It was really a survival of the fittest, every person for themselves kind of thing. And when you add that to just a complete lack of emotional support or love of any kind, like Fred Trump basically had no human connection to anyone. He was just his own person. And he used the people around him for what he needed them for. And then he was done with them. Like he had no time for emotion, which is a really terrifying way to raise a child. Yeah. I mean, emotions are just part of being human. But the thing is with sociopaths is they have a different experience of emotions and an inability to feel empathy. So in a way, it makes you wonder if sociopaths are less human. In a way. Yeah, I mean, you almost have to be. Like, to be this kind of person, like, that's what it explains why Donald Trump does not seem like a real person. His dad was not a real person. They're like cartoon villains. Yeah, like, his dad was like this embodiment of everything you would want a parent not to do, except wrapped up in this person who thinks that's exactly what a parent should do. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. And also, like, without any emotions, that that is what makes them so two-dimensional. Right. I think that's the real interesting part of the book is the, the stuff about Fred Trump and how his parenting style molded Donald Trump. The rest of the book, part four, is about Trump's time as president. And that's interesting also, but, like, we're all going through that. So, <laughs> like, I, I could have wrote that section of the book. Yeah. I did find it interesting. I don't think I realized that she was the source for that New York Times article about the Trump family fortune. Did you ever read that article? I haven't yet. I remember when it came out. 
It won a fucking Pulitzer, and it is really interesting. It was. It, I heard it was extremely comprehensive. So they did the they did the research. Well, one of the things that happened when Mary Trump was involved in this lawsuit is she kept asking how much Fred Trump was worth when he died, and like people would say, like, oh, like thirty to fifty million, something like that. Like at one point, someone told her seventeen million, and like she doesn't. She's not a fucking financial expert she was like oh that, yeah, okay that sounds like a lot of money and it turns out they were worth to cl- closer to like 500 million at least yeah. and what the new york times uncovered with basically the help of mary trump she found because she had filed that lawsuit she was entitled to all of these financial records from trump management and the new york times shows up at her house in 2016 and is like we think you might be able to tell us something about this thing we're investigating. And she ends up bringing them 19 boxes of documents that show that the Trump family was worth upwards of, a, I think, $430 million at one point. A lot more than they were saying, a lot more than she was being told. And not just that, but they had a long, long time ago set up this company basically for the kids or under the guise of giving the kids something to fall back on. And what he was really using it for was to just funnel money to the kids, but in a way that he wouldn't have to pay any gift taxes. Mm, Yeah. So they were just hiding their income and they were using this company and like the money he would funnel in, they would pretend they were like buying shit with it and they just fucking keep the money. And what's really frustrating about this part of the book to me is that It's just another example of how untouchable Trump is as president. That is such a huge scandal. Fucking Tom Daschle was the Senate majority leader, and he was a senator from South Dakota. Like, South Dakota is such a tiny, insignificant state, and they had that much fucking power in the Senate, and they voted that guy out of office over a tax scandal. Remember those days? They are fucking gone. Like, this scandal far outweighs what Tom Daschle did, but it had no fucking impact. None. Maybe, you know, going back to maybe it's just too much. You know, it's hard to put out a fire if there's fire everywhere. You, if you can, And if you can't put it out, you just learn to live with it and it becomes your norm. I mean, it's just all of us can say, how did this happen? How does it continue happening? And I think we really need to look at our power structure, you know, and the people in our government, like, if they have any sense, then why are they supporting this guy? And it's like, oh, wow, like, they're really protecting the minority, the minority interests here at the expense of everyone else. I have a a sinking suspicion that the government of the United States in general has for a long time wanted to move in a more fascist direction. Like, I mean, there's no, there is no truly progressive party here. I mean, like our progressive party is more centrist and pretty conservative and our conservative party is extremely conservative. And the, the fact that like just since like the 90s or so like this, the, the way the country is divided between Republican and Democrat is a relatively new thing. Like I remember when all that started and it was when Bill Clinton was in office. Like, that is the moment in history when those lines became really important. And what that does, and I I wish more people realize this, is it just allows the government to get away with bad shit forever. 
because there's always going to be half the population that no matter what that person in charge is doing, they're going to be like, that's fine. That's our guy. And like you see it with things like Trump wanted to at one point was talking about setting up a national Internet, like national 5G Internet. And people were like, oh, I don't want Trump to set up national Internet. Obama suggested the same thing when he was in office and Democrats were all for it. And Republicans were like, oh, we don't want the president setting up a nationalized Internet service. And it just it allows the government to kind of operate unchecked, like things like the Patriot Act. We should have been so fucking outraged by it. But we were all traumatized from 9-11. And even if we said anything, half the country was going to be like, yeah, but it's a Republican thing. So it's cool. Like we need to fight terrorists. So it's fine that we gave away all of our personal freedoms. Yeah, it's just it's again using the distractions. It's a good a it's divide and conquer. Yeah. And a politician w- will always take advantage of a good disaster. Right. And we really need to get past that bipartisan shit. Other, we're not going to get anywhere. I mean, it's it's tribalism. Yeah. And at this point, it's like, look at the centerpiece issues. Like, what do they have to do with anything? Like, you have to, like, if you believe in, if you're pro-choice, like, you have to be a Democrat. Like, it's, like, why do you have to, why does, why does salad come with, I'm trying to think of two random foods that don't belong together. I'm trying to make an analogy, but I can't do it right now. (laughs) You know, why is, like, why is the macaroni coming with curry? Like, yeah. You know, it's just like, what? why do I have to have this as a meal? Like, why can't I? It's a very difficult time to sort of build your own ethics. It's like, you know, you got to jump on this bandwagon or this bandwagon. And it's like, I don't want to jump on any of these shitty bandwagons. Yeah. I was just going to say, I saw a really funny tweet. I don't remember who said it, but like they said, like Republicans are like, fuck you. And Democrats are like, fuck you. Hearts, rainbows, Black Lives Matter. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was funny. That's very accurate. And I think that's like, that's obviously going to be Trump's campaign strategy in 2020. If we still have an election, (laughs) he's going to be like, well, they've been saying that they're the party that helps black people, but what have they done? And why are all these police shootings happening in Democrat controlled cities? I mean, let's look at this. You got, you got wolves and then you got wolves in sheep's clothing. Pretty much. That's those are our two choices. And the scariest part about it is depending on what side you're on, you probably fucking love that choice. I mean, there are people who are as rabid for just Democrats in general as Trump supporters are for Trump to the point that there's a certain segment of society where if you question anything Obama did, oh, so you're a Trump supporter now? And it's like, no, every president fucking sucked. Yeah. Everyone we've ever elected was goddamn trash. And aren't they all like low key related? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I I've I think I've read that that there's like one bloodline that connects like most of the presidents. And it's like why? Come on. Come on, people. Let's just I still think we should just go without a president for a while. Like, let's make that dis- let we cancel the election. I mean, yeah, exactly. Like, do we, uh, I mean, obviously we don't need one that functions well. So like, do we really need any? Like, is there an autopilot button? Because right now it's like, he's he's like the driver that drives really bad that you wish would use autopilot. Yeah. And the the thing about, you know, going without a president, one of the things we've been allowing on both sides for every president since at least Reagan 
is we just let motherfuckers issue executive orders and circumvent Congress, circumvent the Senate, and just make laws. And it's another thing where if you're a Democrat and it was Obama doing it, you're like, that's fine. It's it's Obama. He's just getting around that Congress that won't let him get anything done. And now Trump does it, and Democrats are like, oh, he's governing through executive orders. And it's like, motherfuckers, we've been allowing this for decades and decades and decades. It's like he's just, he's a wolf that doesn't wear the the, sh- the sheep he killed to hide behind. He's what we've been wanting, basically. I think he's what this country secretly, a lot of people have been secretly wanting, is a fucking dictator. This is a really sort of conservative, puritanical country we kind of live in. It's, I mean, it's relative, but, you know, like, there's some dr- draconian shit. Yeah, and... People throw the term white supremacy around a lot these days, but like to the point that it almost, I think, gets trivialized a little bit. But it's a real fucking thing. Like the thing I always bring up is there's this organization called the Five Eyes. And the Five Eyes are five different countries that all share intelligence and police tactics and training with each other. And it's all the white countries. It's it's the United States. Canada, I think Australia, Italy, maybe, and France. I don't, I don't know if that's exactly the five. So it's like, it's, I mean, white people are in power, and what we may be witnessing is white people trying to keep their power. I kind of suspect that's what the <laughs> American government in general has wanted this whole time, is to keep white people in power. And I think even fucking putting Obama in office for eight years was part of that. I don't know if we even really have a choice who our president is anymore like even in the like that it it goes back to the bipartisan shit like even in the face like the 2004 election something weird happened in Ohio like there are so many reports of a lot of election irregularities in Ohio and Ohio is how Bush won re-election so half the country was like well our guy won so what do we care and it's like because the other side could use that in the future? Like, do you not fucking get that? Shit like this is bad for the entire country. Or fucking Russia interfering in the 2016 election and Trump supporters are like, yeah, I think Russia might be the real patriots. It's like, are you out of your fucking minds? Yes. (laughs) It's pretty outrageous. And it's, I mean, it's like, yeah, what timeline are we in right now? Like... You know, like, this is, it's wild. Like, this shit's wild. And I'm like, well, you know, you read history books and shit was fucked up throughout history. This just, it just feels like there's a lot going on right now at a global level. And it's, when you're that, when when dangerous people are that organized at a global level, it's like, all right, we, what what's happening? What an unsettling time to be alive. <laughs> Who's having kids right now? That's what I want to know. We are living through so many documentaries right now. Like, I wish they'd be on TV because it's like we need content. We're just sitting here at home. <laughs> yeah, we should just start filming that that coronavirus Trump documentary right now. We are all living through it. So I think that's our episode, unless you have any final thoughts on the Mary Trump book. I think people should read it. I think it's very enlightening when it comes to Trump and figuring out why he's the way he is. And hey, even if you're a Trump fan, read it. It's about your boy's childhood. Yeah, I mean, like, Fred seemed to have no issue with 
Trump showing with Donald showing his ass. So like if you already support Donald, like you might be like, this is my motherfucking hero. Yeah, you might think Fred Trump's a great dad. So if you're a Trump supporter, <laughs> go read it for a heartwarming story about a father raising his son right. You f- feelingless oh monsters, God. you. If you want to get the feels, the warmth. <laughs> the um, it was a it was a good book. It was a really quick read. Um, yeah, it's... less than three hundred pages, and she's a great writer. Mary Trump's a great writer, and she not only as a psychologist, you know, she had a very very unique access that other psychologists wouldn't have you know being his niece being donald trump's niece so read it i i said i recommend it i think it's a good read and it has a lot of relevant information that it does do we have anything to plug before we get out of here what do you got um well i got i'm putting more and more of my stand-up online so check me out on youtube and ig um instagram i'm it's just my name, Fizza Dasani, F-I-Z-A-A-D-O-S-A-N-I. Put an at sign before that. And then I have a weekly podcast myself called Facial Recognition Comedy. And I co-host it with two other comedians who are also women of South Asian descent. And basically the point is we're not the same person. And it's interesting to get the three of us in the same room because like white people always think we're the same person because they don't have any brown. A lot of them don't have a brown person in their life to reference. So it's like, oh, that's the brown person. That's so-and-so. But um, we actually have very different personalities. So the conversation becomes very interesting. And we have all kinds of guests. You don't have to be Indian at all. We should have you. You should come on our podcast. I'd love to do it. Uh, what do I have to plug? I don't know. Follow the show on Twitter at Conspirapops. Our show that we're... All right. Yeah, we got a show. The first Unpops Zoom comedy show is happening on 9-11. Cancel your plans so you can watch the likes of Fizza Dasani and Jeff May and Anna Valenzuela, Corey Robinson, fucking keith carey andy peters uh, others it's gonna be a really fun show and these zoom shows are pretty wild like you never know what's gonna happen and you're like up close in someone's face or you're like it's 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 weirdly intimate even though we're not in the same room yeah i've never watched one or been on one but i'm going to try to run one for the first time (laughs) when this happens on 9-11. So tune in so for cancel, that, if nothing else. Cancel your 9-11 barbecues, yep. white people. Give your gifts on 9-12 instead. <laughs> Put it off for a day and watch us tell jokes on 9-11. Uh, keep an eye on the Unpops Twitter, the Conspirapops Twitter, for uh, ticket links for that, which should be out soon. I have to make a fucking poster. Ugh. I know. Oh, I know. Uh And I think that's it. Let's get the fuck out of here. Fizza, say goodbye. Bye, y'all. Goodbye, everybody. We love you.